0: Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. That's the barbecue nation. I'm with JT. Uh, I think I am anyway today, uh, along with Camaro Dave and commander Chris, we're coming to you from the turn it don't burn it studios in Portland. Um, we want to thank uh, painted Hills, natural beef, uh, the beef, uh, the way nature intended. And, um, for this first segment of the show this week, we've got Angela Iverson from Florida with us today, Angela, very unique lady. Um, hasn't been in barbecue her whole life, but yet cooking with wood and stuff has affected her whole life. It's a great story. So, we're going to talk to her in just a second. And uh, I think Angela is one of those people that has given back more than she ever got. So, and that's a very, very good thing. Also, um, we'd like to thank the folks over at Gunter Wilhelm Knives. They do a great job. I use them myself now. And uh, you can find out more about them at gunterwilhelm.com. Angela Iverson, welcome to Barbecue Nation. Kiddo.
1: Hey, this is wonderful. My <laughs> honor to be here.
0: <laughs> ah. You you know not of what you speak, my dear, but you will in about an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: it's all good. If you if you're smiling, then that's good for me.
0: That's okay. good. I am smiling. Um your bio says you're a special events coordinator at Angela Iverson Event Management and a self-employed um property management consulting company. But that's that's kind of, you know, secondary to the fact that you're involved in barbecue, I think, isn't it?
1: Right. I mean, the event management really stemmed from, um, well, partially from, from barbecue. I kind of got stumbled into barbecue because of, you know, volunteering with different events and stuff. So it's kind of, that part is related. My paid work, (laughs) <laughs> um, like my main income, uh, my non-hobby is, is a, a totally different world. <laughs> yeah,
0: <clears throat> I understand completely. Um, but you, you were foolish and raised your hand at one time and volunteered for some stuff, and then you got stuck. Is that pretty much it?
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, in my family, it, it's like if, if a friend asks for help, Yeah, it's like, okay, you know, we don't know how to say no. So we do whatever we can to help that friend or family member to achieve whatever it is that they want. And so that's been the story of my life, you know, um, whether it's just been with the volunteer work here in my community or when I got involved with the Florida Barbecue Association. uh, And there were certain needs of, you know, people sitting on committees I'm like, hey, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And that one clean spot you had on your desk uh, no longer exists, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh,
1: no, we don't even want to go there. Right okay. Now. okay. Uh, that's kind of my last spot in the house uh, since we've all been shut down into our houses. Uh, you know how you have nests built up around? Oh, yeah. And I have gone through every cupboard every corner of this house except for my office area yeah (laughs) and i'm kind of procrastinating
0: my office is um right off the kitchen it's what they used to call a butler's pantry i think and um i converted that into my my home office and then down the hallway um well first we were going to use it as a kind of a man cave type thing you know relaxation room and that. And then my daughter decided that was going to be her bedroom. So that went out the window for a while. And then she went off to college. And so we thought, okay, that's going to work. But she kept coming home all the time. So we could never really change anything. And so then she graduated from college and then she went to LA for a while. And then she went to New York for a while to work and all that. And And then she came home. And so there we were again, you know, so finally she got her own apartment. And I thought, finally, yes, I can, you know, have the extra TV and a little couch. And oh, hell no. <laughs> COVID came along and there's that's now my wife's <laughs> office. It's a, you know, 900 square yeah. foot office in there. But it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It
1: so well, how our lives adapt.
0: Yes, they do. Changing
1: times, That's for sure. I, I have two girls. One just started, she graduated and she just started college and she's going online. And the other one is a couple of years older than her and she's working and um, having both of them live, you know, in the house, there is no extra room like what you're talking about. Right. I had to convert my front room, which (laughs) is kind of like, like there's, it's supposed to be like the formal living room and the formal dining room. Right but that's not how it is. It is an office and a TV room, you know, because, uh-huh. you know, like every household, one TV is never enough, even though we have phones and computers, it's just crazy. So that's, that's another reason why I need to attend to that desk because <laughs> I can't hide everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. Well, growing up though, uh, Angela, you weren't that far from, you know, what we consider barbecue today. I mean, when I read your your backstory, you know, you grew up in Missouri, I think, and yep. and yeah. you cooked on, on fire, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, okay, it it was a culture. It was because I grew up out in the country. Uh huh. Um, my parents, I mean, they only had forty four acres, but it was enough where. You know, we had a creek and a meadow and woods and all that. And we were always outside. You know, we were never inside. Right. And, of course, you know, we had a wood stove in the house. And we had to learn very young how to start a fire and how to tend it and get up in the middle of it to keep it, you know, in the middle of the night to, to keep it going. and right. You know, take out the ashes and that sort of thing working with wood was no big deal. So that was inside the house. And, of course, we always used the wood stove to cook different things. I mean, we had a regular – don't get me wrong. We we had a regular stove and a range and and that sort of thing. But we always loved to always cook out, and we always loved to cook wood. And I think probably, you know, that – you know, I didn't know about – briquettes until I got older because we always made our own you know mm-hmm. we made our own and we were always cooking with it and even as kids without our parents we were always starting fires in the woods I mean not you know <laughs> blazing fires but I mean yeah. like we would camp out there were sure like a little cave what we called the cave and we would make a fire there and we'd hang out there yeah. you know for hours upon hours and And that's you know we go fishing and we cook the fish and we you know so it was just it was just a way of life you know didn't know really any other way I guess right we didn't eat out there was eating out to us was going down and building a fire and cooking over the fire that was eating out in my household
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I understand that and I'm so glad to hear that you uh, um. Were a catch and cook, not a catch and release on the fish. You know, I yeah. I have friends that spend a lot of money to go fly fishing up in Idaho and Montana and all that, and they send me these pictures of these beautiful big trout, and then they put them back. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll cook uh-huh. it. I'll I'll cook for you. You know, I can do that. That's okay. <laughs> you know, but they they there let them go. go. You got the skills. Yeah, I've got well, the maybe skills.
1: maybe they don't have your skills. They you know they need you around more. Someone who
0: knows how to prepare the fish. Well, maybe they should invite me to go with them, and then I can yeah. Sh- there you go. Give a little OJT right there on site on the riverbank because it doesn't take much to build a little fire to, you know, cook a couple of trout on a stick if you want to get there.
1: You
2: go. You
0: know, pretty primitive about it, but it works, and because uh, yeah. I've done it, you know. So all they have to do is ask. Put me in the car. So there you go. It, it's all good. Um. What, what caused you to move to Florida? Just life or.
1: (coughs) Oh, well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, um, you know, grew up in, in Missouri, went to school there. Um, and then I met my husband up in Kansas city area. Mm -hmm. Um, we got married, had two girls. He was in, um, broadcast news. He was a, a news producer. Sure for the Fox station up there. He had come from green Bay before that. And of course he's very proud of all of his Packer. You know, oh familia. yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, um, he, uh, the funny thing about him was is when after we had met, he came back and it was around, it was after Christmas. He had visited with his family and he came back and he brought me a gift. And guess what that gift was?
0: A Packer hat. Cheesehead hat? It
1: was a, a cheese head, yeah. Yeah. Evident yeah. evidently in Wisconsin, that is much like a promise ring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because shortly after that, then he asked me to marry him. Well there so, you there you uh, go. That was that was a funny thing. It's like, okay, a a, a cheesehead, thank you. I still I still see my cheesehead.
2: Yeah. But <laughs>
1: After, um, in broadcast news, though, in order for you to be promoted, you have to move around to the different markets, you know, different cities. And so he ended up getting an executive producer job down in San Antonio. And he started a 24-hour news station down there. And so we lived there for a couple of years before then he uh, was offered a job in Orlando. And his parents at the time were snowbirds from Wisconsin to Orlando. And we thought, well, that would be perfect because then we could be with his parents, you know, part of the part of the time. Sure. So we ended up here in Florida because of his his job, which he no longer is with. Uh, (laughs) After a few years, he ended up going into, you know, the consulting business
0: there you go we are going to take a break here on barbecue nation we're going to be back with um angela iverson and share some more fun fun stories and see how abused she is by the barbecue community right after these messages on the uh, sun bgi network we'll be right back Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. If you would like to email us, it's very simple. It's barbecue, that's bbq at salempdx.com. On SoundCloud and the other uh, social media platforms, you can find us. It's just Barbecue Nation JT. Y- you um, do have to spell it out, though, on those. And uh, our new website is Barbecue Nation JT. Uh, small case will work on that, too. And it's Barbecue Nation jt.com So we're talking with David Farrell, whose uh, book, The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. Um, it's actually, you know, I was impressed. i I In my chair here, you might say, David, I get lots of books. I get lots of cookbooks. I get lots of things that people like to send me to see if I'm interested in having them on the show. Um, How much time did it take you to put this together?
3: Well, it took me about uh, 10 to 11 months to write it, but I was uh, totally uneducated in that that's just the beginning of it. It takes another easily year and a half to get the publishing out.
0: Yeah, it does. So let's um, let's kind of start from the front here. And you you have a nice section on describing different types of smokers, um, you know, from pit barrels, which, you know, I have some. You have some Louisiana grill, our picture of Louisiana grills. You know, it's a it's a pellet grill there. You've got a Weber Smoky Mountain. Uh, first of all, which of these do you use, if any of them? And what are your favorites to use?
3: Well, I started with a Bradley electric smoker, and it was a great thing to begin on because it's pretty easy. But it had the uh, the drawback of it didn't get the high temperatures. So I built my own little charcoal smoker out of a Weber uh, small Weber Smokey Joe barbecue and a uh, enchilada pot or tamales pot, rather, sure. and used charcoal in it. Worked great but it's a little small. And then I persuaded my wife that, of course, a pellet smoker would be much better, and uh, she didn't hit me too hard when she saw the price tag. <laughs> so I moved up to a Louisiana grill and recently retired it for uh, my one I love now, which is my new smoker, which is a uh, Traeger Timberline.
2: There you go. There you go. It's a good unit. And
3: I like yeah. You know, it's nice because it's good and it's set. But I still use my old charcoal smoker. I like them all. And I have buddies who stick or stick burners, um, and they, they, they do some great, too. And one of these days, I might have to uh, just give them a try.
0: Well, they work. Um, people who listen to the show have heard me tell this story several times. But I have the first offset stick burner that I bought in about... 1990 so almost 30 years ago and it's kind of a rusty mess but i do break it out once a year and just for fun and it's a great um it's a great unit to like smoke salmon fillets and stuff on Mm -hmm. and um and i you know it's got kind of crappy wheels and stuff and it's a little wobbly at this point but i drag it out from behind the shop and pull it up on the back patio and my wife looks at me and is like, I'm not eating anything that you cooked in that. But I clean it up. You know, I clean it up. A couple of years ago, I even took a couple of rattle cans of, uh, you know, high temp oven paint and, uh, you know, made it a little shiny again and cooked it. And I noticed she ate everything that I cooked out of it. So and we're still here. So it's good. When when somebody's a beginner, just a raw beginner, David, what do you recommend to them to get started with as far as a, well, I, a machine, a uh, cooker?
3: If you're nervous about it being difficult, the uh, electric smokers are a really good start because you just have to turn a dial and they're on. And uh, you might have to feed wood chips into them, which makes them little well inconvenient, or you can buy one of the tube smokers you can put in it that can run for a few hours. The only major drawback with them for years was if you wanted to cook stuff at high temperatures, you just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't go that high. But a couple of manufacturers now have come out with ones that will go up to 400, 450 degrees. So even that argument's kind of going to the side. Right. So for ease, I recommend the electric smokers. Uh, Almost as easy, if you got the money, is a pellet smoker. Again, you set a dial and it goes to temperature. But they're more expensive to operate and they're a little more finicky than the electric.
0: True, but I think you can. Well, one thing versus like a Bradley, uh, and say versus uh, your Traeger or Green Mountain or one of those is the volume. If you're doing a large gathering, it's much easier on on the Traeger or the Green Mountains or, or Louisiana, any of them. Pit Boss makes some good units. Um, sure, you know you can get four or five racks of ribs on those things at one time, um, and that's kind of tough to do. Uh, I would think in a Bradley.
3: Well, for example, my first uh, brisket that I did in the Bradley, um, I had to cut it in half.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, You can put a lot of food in a Bradley or in an MES or any of those electrics, but they don't have a lot of lateral space. Mm -hmm. So you're right in that.
0: Yeah. But I I agree with you. You know, if you want to, if you're just getting started and you don't have a lot of space, you don't have a lot of patio space, you could even live in a condo and just have a little um, balcony type thing. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Bradleys and those types of things work pretty well for them, um, you know, versus trying to lug something through your apartment or your house and put it out there. Uh, we see a lot of people around here that have that, except one of my old bosses. I'll tell you this story really quick, David. One of my old bosses had a little chief smoker, a big chief smoker. Mm. Great product. Been around for years down here. Originally done by the Lure Jensen people. And he forgot it and he overloaded it with pellets and went off someplace and it actually burned a hole in the deck and fell down on the the, <laughs> the guy's patio right below him because he lives in a condo. So his wife took away his barbecue privileges. <laughs> so it happens. Well, the little,
3: ch- little chief is famous up here in Canada. Yeah. If you live in the West Coast and you, or any place where there's fishing, it's pretty well accepted as the best unit for smoking salmon and trout.
0: It is true. That is absolutely true. Uh, I've worked closely with those people for a few years now, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I think it's the best fish smoker out there. I really do, and it, it you know works out pretty well and. Uh, the, the, unless you're dumb and let it catch on fire by overloading it and stuff and burn through the deck, then I don't think you should really have any problems, you know, like that. Um, we're going to take another break. We're going to be back, uh, <laughs> David Farrell from, he wrote the book, the old fat guy's guide to smoking meat for beginners. And we're going to talk to him about some of his technique when we come back here on barbecue nation on the, uh, sun radio networks. And, uh, so please stay with us if you're enjoying gt and his show come check out my podcast around the house with eric g where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast head to aroundthehouseonline.com Welcome back to barbecue nation. I'm JT and Dave and Chris are floating around outside doing something like they normally are. Uh, we've got David Farrell, the author of the old fat guy's guide to smoking meat for beginners. I love that title. Uh, and it's very appropriate and it's time appropriate, age appropriate. And, um, Demeanor appropriate. I'll just put it that way. We'd like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef for sponsoring this segment of the show. Uh, beef just as nature intended. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. dot com. So, David, when you when you started, did you have any? You you had, had some training earlier in your life, did? When it, I'm sure that came to kind of come in handy when you were learning how to trim. You know, trim pork butts, trim briskets, whatever. Um, did it come back to you naturally or did you have to kind of rehone your skills?
3: No, when I was a younger man, I did attend uh, Vancouver Vocational Institute and I got some training in the Canadian Navy, uh-huh. which I overcame. <laughs> and uh, what can I say? But over the years, uh, although I left the industry, I've always loved cooking, so I have constantly been, whenever I got an hour spare hour, making something. Sure. So I I have most of the basic knife skills in that down. But smoking requires you to learn some different skills. (laughs) And I actually had to break some of the stuff I learned in the culinary world to go to cooking. Uh, For example, in the culinary world, you cook most things by time in the barbecue world, you cook things to an internal temperature. Right. And not knowing that caused me some early failures. So yeah, I had to relearn some things, but yeah, the original skills definitely helped a lot.
0: Yeah, that, that is very true because we are so temperature oriented in this genre. Um, and when I do television and most of the time when I do television, it's indoors, it's in a studio, it's in a little mock kitchen. So, you know, we're, we're there with saucepans and, you know, skillets and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes you kind of, it's kind of like making a hyper jump in space with uh, star Trek, you know, you kind of lose your mind and forget what you're doing. <laughs> so, and you don't want to do that on camera, but um, I think that's a very, very astute uh, observation there that you have to kind of retrain yourself. Well, once you got retrained um, the stuff you learned in culinary school Versus what you're doing now with smoking meats, let's talk about seasoning for a second. Everybody's kind of got their own idea of what a rub should be for them if they've done any barbecuing for more than a couple of weeks. They all like to get in there and experiment, you know, take your salt, pepper, paprika, garlic, whatever. Did you have to kind of unlearn things from culinary school to make it work Uh, right for you in barbecue?
3: I did at the beginning, but then I actually went the opposite way. I started off with the very classic seasonings for barbecue, the salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, onion powder. Right. And, but then I started going to bring some of the stuff I'd learned in the culinary classical world into barbecue, Uh, I love using barberry spices, and I love to use Piri Piri and uh, other of those international, like Zatar Mm -hmm. from North Africa. And using the barbecue techniques and bringing in those different flavors, I think, has given me my signature for barbecuing. I go a little bit more different flavors, or I go really basic. My favorite for brisket, for example, is just spods, you know, salt, pepper, onion powder, garlic powder.
0: Right. Right. We just call that Dalmatian it's black, okay. black and white spots, you know. Um, but I think that's that's really solid. And, and, you know, something I think that most people when they're when they're starting and the, they can get the, the spog, as you called it, um, get that down to a balance that they like, because, again, it's all about balance. Uh, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show. Cooking for competitions is not cooking the same for you're gonna what you're gonna serve your guests at home. They're two different deals, and so I always talk about balance in spices and seasonings, and I think using the salt, pepper, onion, garlic uh, is a great thing to get beginners started with.
3: Well, I, I have the same advice when once a guy's gotten started in barbecue, they all want to make their own sort of signature rub, right. And what I try to warn them to do is to start off with a really basic rub. I just have four ingredients in my basic rub. And I said, but that doesn't mean you're stuck with that. Start with that and then start adjusting it to your tastes. But try not to put 10 different things in your rub because you won't taste any of them. Right. Slowly build something to your signature.
0: I had a uh, very notable chef one time um, who's a good friend of mine tell me that when you get down to using uh, an eighth of a teaspoon of you know pick something, cumin or Uh, something like that, whatever, doesn't matter uh, what, oregano, Oregano, yeah or marjoram or something like that he goes, nobody's going to taste it, so his theory was always try to keep like in a recipe when he was developing recipes and stuff, try to keep it so there's like only four or five steps in the whole recipe from start to finish versus I see some of them and there's Gemini there's 15 steps in it and you, and you kind of lose people's interest that that gets a little too complicated for them. I think.
3: Well, it's it, for example, in layering, layering flavors in barbecue is one of the big things I try to work towards. Sure. But you can do that very simply. Like you start off with a rub, And then you apply a glaze and then you put a sauce on it again. Well, that's three different layers, Mm -hmm. but you want just three basic solid flavor profiles for each of them to work together. And it's not a lot of work. It's just goes quickly, but yet you get that wonderful deep flavor that you get from barbecue doing that.
0: No, I think that's true. I think that's very true. And, um, you know, I've I've obviously interviewed and, and talked to and, and know a great deal, many, a great many of them. <clears throat> what I get a kick out of, and I'd like your thoughts about this, uh what I was didn't finish my sentence there was people that compete in barbecue. Okay. So well, if you look at Twitter or Instagram or any of the social media platforms, Facebook, and I must see I've been kind of on a rant about this lately so listeners forgive me but I must see 14 1500 briskets cooked a week and pictures of them <laughs> on there. And they and one lady was here in the studio yesterday and we were talking about it and she said, "You know, maybe it's just the photography but a lot of them look like they're really 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 overcooked because hmm. the bark so much is so black and dark. And I said, yeah, but you know, different styles around the country and stuff. Uh, but I will say there's only so many pictures you can take of a brisket and make it look <laughs> appetizing and entertaining. I'd like your thoughts on that.
3: Well, for me, for brisket, the hardest part is uh, how how the bark does come out. Right. Because I don't like as really black a bark as some of the people do. Uh, I found wrapping in papers the good middle ground for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and butcher paper. Uh, but I have a friend who does his with no paper. He just cooks that brisket, comes out reasonably moist, and it's really dark and it tastes really good. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'd encourage people to do is to try my, I go for paper. I go for quite a dark bark. Uh, I think it gives you still the really nice soft bend test and pull test if you use paper. Sure. But I really encourage people to try one in foil, one in paper, and one without anything. And then adjust it to your taste because then there's how long do you leave it before you wrap it? Uh, how much do you trim it? Uh, but you've got to try the different ones because he prefers his without any wrapping. Yes. I prefer mine with paper, and some people swear by foil and they're all right. Don't let somebody else tell you how to do it. Do it the way you like it. That's what I like.
0: Yeah, I think that's very good advice. And, uh, you know, because you can, there is no 100% correct way, like you just said. And there's also, if you like what you're serving to people or you're consuming yourself, that's what it's supposed to be about, really. You know, if it makes you happy to do it and eat it, great. Um I think sometimes we get a lot of of some of these things like this is the only, you know, this is the only, uh, you know, deal we can do. It's got to be perfect like this. Well, nothing's perfect. So, you know, make yourself happy. That's why we do this stuff.
3: Well, I just ran into that. I did a post on uh, Facebook to one of the forums on Facebook on uh, I like to do a buffalo wing by injecting melted butter and the buffalo sauce into the wing before I cook it. I saw that. Yeah. And, and uh, I got back on one of them. That's wrong. You can't do that. There's more than enough fat in chicken. You shouldn't be injecting it. Well, no, you shouldn't be injecting it because you don't like it that way. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. So don't let the. the uh, I refer to them as the barbecue gods. <laughs> gods are sometimes wrong. Do what you like.
0: Right. Well, look at Zeus. He was always screwing stuff up, if, <laughs> you know. He was always doing that. Uh, We're going to take a break. David Farrell uh, and the name of his book is The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. And David is coming to us today from Cranbrook, British Columbia, straight north of me, actually, about 300 plus miles. But um, we're going to be back in just a minute. Don't go away. everybody it's jt and this is a special version of barbecue nation it is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef welcome back to barbecue nation i'm jt and you're not how's that um, we're talking with david farrell uh, my kind of guy, like I said, old fat guy's guide to smoking meat for beginners. Um, David's our neighbor to the North Canada and Cranbrook there in the B.C. province. And um, I'm sure he and I will have a great time together. One of these days, <laughs> because it was we're similar. We, you know, similar as a track, I guess, not in barbecue. Similar as a track like that. What was the toughest thing, David, about writing the book for you?
3: The hardest thing was trying to put it in terms that a beginner would understand. You know what you know, and you assume everybody else just knows that as a fact, especially in cooking. And when I first started, my friends asked them to have a look at it. They had no idea what saute meant. A lot of old guys like me, who start smoking and never touched anything in the kitchen. So I had to make the steps that... Were understandable to somebody who'd most likely never done much in the kitchen.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense because um, a kitchen can be a completely foreign language and a foreign country to people if they're not used to it.
3: Well, you better not talk about uh, fricassee or. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or how to do sous vide until they've been in it for a while.
0: That's true. Because when about the time you say, well, we're going to put this in a plastic bag and put it in hot water for 24 hours. And they look at you like, huh, what are you doing? (laughs) They, you know, they want to call Gibbs on NCIS or something. Come get this guy. He's (laughs) lost his mind. Um, What was the most gratifying thing about doing the book, David?
3: Uh, The people who got back to me saying that it helped them. Um, I've got some friends in Montana who got drunk up and about seven guys went out and bought a smoker all at the same time. And they got my book and I went down and worked with them for a day and we drank a lot of whiskey and cooked a lot of food and they've all kept on with it. Getting people to smoke is what I was trying to do.
0: Smoke meats, not just smoke, smoke. Right.
3: yeah well if you're smoking other stuff I don't want to hear
0: about it okay well most of it's legal in the states anymore so you know I guess you can do both if you're you'll probably be really hungry and want the brisket you know so you got it that timing's got to be right because you couldn't smoke a lot of stuff and then have to wait 12 hours to get a brisket that wouldn't work for you at all you, you're going to be eating a box no, of I'm Cheerios. Not my friends Cheerios we're
3: all too old for that
0: stuff yeah I understand I'm right there with you Um. so on your next book you're you're looking at, you know, more of a pit master type, elevated information. How's that coming along?
3: It's coming along really well. Uh, I, I've already, for example, I teach people how to make bacon. And I teach people how to make summer sausage and smoked cheese. And I have a whole bunch of friends here in town now who don't buy their own bacon anymore. I ruin them for store-bought bacon forever because homemade is easy and so much better. Sure. And they never thought of making bacon in their smoker. And I'm doing some more international cooking, getting them trained on uh, how to do uh, what we used to call Indian candy and uh, for politically correct reasons. I now call uh, candied salmon. Those kind of things that they never thought of. They only thought of the sort of the basics pulled pork, brisket, ribs things. Right. Uh, So they already have got friends doing it, and I'm anxious to get more people to spread their wings and try to do their own Montreal smoked meat or bacon or how to do a competition-style thighs, although I refer to them as PIA, a pain in the pants. (laughs) But, yeah, competition-style stuff's definitely got its own cachet, but it's a lot of work. So, But I wanted to get into how to do that.
0: Well, I'll tell you, if you learn how to smoke your own bacon, you'll never buy that really thinly sliced you know, you can hold it up after you pull it out of the package and it wiggles and you can almost see through it. Uh, that doesn't become bacon for you. That is something that should be cooked and ground up for bacon bits on your salad or something. You know, that's why I look at it.
3: Well, I hate the way when you put it in a pan it boils instead of fries.
0: That's true. That's true. I, I've never heard it called that, but I think that's very uh, appropriate. It does boil like that. How can people find your book? By the way, folks, David's going to be with us for the after hours. So if you listen to the podcast version of this after you're done on the radio version, um, be sure and stick around and find the uh, after hours segment because that's going to be some some fun. But how can people find your book?
3: Uh, it's available on all the major uh, online sellers. But I would encourage people to uh, go to their local bookstore and support their local businesses. And if you go to a website, it's got the ISBN number, which is the number you got to give to your bookstore so they can order it. Right. So wait a bit longer for it and give the local bookstore. But if you want, it is available through Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all that. It's also available on all the electronic Apple and Amazon, Kindle, and that kind of thing. Uh, which will save you a few dollars, but I've never really enjoyed doing a book from uh, a tablet or whatever. But if you're into that, it's available through those as well.
0: There you go. I'm kind of a hardcover guy myself, so to speak, and that's what I bought when I bought your book because um, we have a Kindle or whatever they are, but I never use it. So anyway, um, David, thank you, and stick around. We'll do the after hours. Before we get out of here for the week, I've got some good news for you. Meet Sup- Meat prices drop as supplies rebound. Uh, ground beef and pork loin prices have returned to pre-pandemic levels following an initial price surge caused by the supply challenges due to COVID-19. Now, prime rib and chicken wings are even cheaper than before the pandemic pandemic began. Can't say it right today. According to uh, Nielsen data, uh, in early September, prime rib steaks sold for an average of $7.15 per pound, Down more than 11% since the beginning of the year. New York strips prices are about 8% lower. And beef brisket prices have fallen nearly 20%. Due to low exports, prices for chicken uh, leg quarters have also dropped nearly 40% compared to 2019 levels. This is all according to executives at Sanderson Farms. Yeah, it's one of the top poultry producers in the country. The U.S. Department of Ag figures show that meat processing has not only resumed, but is now largely exceeding year over year levels. Increased production and reduced demand have lowered wholesale meat prices as well. Gordon Food Service Incorporated, one of the largest restaurant food distributors, is selling beef cuts for half of what they cost Several months ago, but despite production increases, Tyson Foods, the country's largest meat company by sales recently estimated that one about one million cattle and three million hogs still remained backed up in the U.S. feedlot system uh, and still clear back to the farms due to the previous slaughterhouse shutdowns. You can find out uh, more about this in in several places if you want to read the stories. And um, we're going to get out of here now for the week. I thank um, old fat guy like myself for joining me today, Dave Farrell. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. I hope you all have a great one and take care.